couple of weeks ago, I was going to meet somebody and I was going to meet them in Revolution Hall in the Rosedale Mall. That was my plan. And um, so I, I chose that place because I was meeting with this innovative guy. He's this entrepreneur and I wanted to go in this really innovative space. And when the people designed Revolution Hall in the Rosedale Mall, they checked a lot of boxes. They checked the trend of having open spaces, you know, an open floor plan. They checked that box. They embraced the trend of artisan foods and they had all these great artisan food places throughout this, uh, this space. They embraced the trend that more and more people aren't carrying cash and they were experimenting with actually being cash free and just using only other means. You know, if you were to go down their list, they checked a lot of boxes when it comes to what people say that they are looking for in an establishment. And they also went out of business. You know, my meeting in Revolution Hall never happened because the revolution evidently died out over the summer. And there's a place to write this down. This is important in this, um, in your, the green insert inside your bullet, there's a place to write this down. You can check the boxes and miss the mark. You can check the boxes and you can miss the mark. That is certainly true in business, but it's also true in our personal lives too, isn't it? It's very true in our personal lives. There's a lot of people who are checking boxes in their personal lives. They want to find a group of friends who like the things that I do. Check. Let's find the right phone, Wi-Fi, entertainment package. Check. Let's find a college with a great campus and great food and opportunities to study abroad. Check. Let's find a career path that has six-figure potential. Check. Make sure that if you're going to get married, you get married between that time of starting the career path, but before the age of 26. Check. Have kids and send everybody pictures of them doing cute things. Check. And then get those kids involved in the right activities. Check. A lot of people checking boxes. And there's a lot of people who are feeling as they're going through life. They're starting to feel what I'd imagine those folks at Revolution Hall started to feel when they realized, uh-oh, uh-oh. We, we checked the right boxes as best we thought, but this isn't working. As people in their personal lives begin to question whether or not these friends are the people they really want to be journeying through life with. And as student loans grow larger and larger, and as they begin to realize that their career requires them to pay a price and to make concessions that they didn't realize on the front end, and as they realize that marriage is not just a box that you want to check. And as people begin to realize the time and money that they're investing in devices, it's not leaving them more refreshed. It's not helping them become better versions of themselves. Actually, the opposite is true. And this last one that I wrote down here, I, I can't count the number of parents who, especially as their students are about entering college age, they start to go, oh no. We invested all that time. We invested all that money in those activities at the expense of higher priorities. Oh no. You can check the boxes and you can miss the mark. Isn't that true? Well, last week we took time to look at an invitation that is extended to us by God. And that invitation is follow me and I will be with you. Follow me, God says, and I will be with you. If the Bible is true, and I believe it is, there's a God. He doesn't want to just point us in the right direction. He actually promises, 
I will be with you on that path. I will walk with you. But I'll tell you this, those steps are going to require faith and a lot of it because we're often going to be called to take steps that we wouldn't take. Steps that might feel wrong. Steps that feel like this is not on my list. In fact, this is a box I never intended to check. If you look at the scriptures and read them for yourselves, you're going to come across verses like this. This is something that Jesus said. These are the words of Jesus as recorded by an eyewitness. Matthew 10, verse 39. Whoever loses their life for my sake will what? Find it. You got to lose it to find it. Oh, are you willing to trust God like that? Are you willing to trust him enough to leave our checklist behind? And even our notions of what we think we want or what we think we need or what we think we're supposed to do. Well, back in the first century, this was interesting. I had to fact check myself on this and it, it checks out. Back in the first century, both insiders and outsiders began referring to Christians as followers of the way, they called them. Followers of the way. Their lives were so aligned with the life and teaching of Jesus, the way of Jesus, people began to say, these are followers of the way. And they began to refer to themselves. We're followers of the way, the way of Jesus. And that way, if we're honest, is very, very different than the way most of us are living our suburban lives or our lives in the city, right? Most of us are living lives that are different than that way. At least in my experience, especially in the suburbs, Christianity is something that people are more likely to try to integrate into their lives rather than build their entire lives around. So in rather than the way that we're trying to follow, it's more we've got our way and we want to try to fit God into our way. At least that's how I see a lot of it. Back in our first year as a church, I remember having a conversation with somebody that I'll never forget. This individual, um, she was planning to... to with her, her and her family make a decision to say, we want to be a part of a church, but we want to know where that thing's going. You know, we want to be a part of something that's really heading down a path that we can align with. So she asked me straight up. She said, how is Emmanuel going to be different than just another suburban church? She just straight up. That's how she put it. How are you going to be different than just another suburban church? That's an important question, isn't it? If, the trends and the temptations are a different way. How are we going to be different than that? And there's a place to write this in your notes. Here's, here's a different way of phrasing that question. How do we avoid becoming a church that enables box checkers? How do we make it hard here to just check, 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 check? Without actually asking those deeper level questions. In the suburbs, there's a temptation to make it as easy and as attractive as possible to get people to attend services and participate in programs. How do we avoid becoming a church that makes it easy to walk into the door to a program and then walk out and say, bye, Jesus, see you next week? How do we not do that? How? This week I was at a thing. And the guy that was leading worship at this thing, he said something really, really interesting. Now, this guy, he leads worship in a church that seats 7,000, and they have three services. So as far as his ability to wow as a worship leader and as a worship band, they are up there at the, the top, right? They have the equipment that people can only dream of. They have all paid musicians. It's just his resources are stunning. He could wow as well as anybody can wow. 
But he went away on his personal retreat and he was sharing about it. He, he did his best to get alone and get quiet and really seek God. And he came back and he said, you know, when people come to my worship services that we're putting on, here's what we hope. We hope they don't come away saying, how was worship? We hope they come away saying, how was my worship? See the difference there? Not how was the band, how was all the... Was I truly worshiping? He said this, he said, that may sound indicting, but these are the kind of questions we have to start asking if we want to be authentic followers of Jesus. And that is certainly the kind of walk that we want to pursue here. It is so easy to say the right things. Put them on your mission statement, put them on your website. So easy to say things like Christianity is about following Jesus. Say things like church isn't a place that we go. It's one thing to say that. The harder part is to really get it and to really live it out. Many of you heard me give this analogy before. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like if you're, if you're just going through life, especially here like in Minnesota where there's no oceans, it's easy to say there's sharks in the ocean, right? It's another thing to be in the middle of the ocean, in the water, nothing to grab onto, and to see a shark, right? And all of a sudden your stomach starts to go like this. And now... It is a totally different thing, right? Because now you're all terrified. I can see it in your faces as these sharks are among us. Can we have a hand for our sharks here? Way to go, sharks. These guys. <laughs> these guys came in at 8.45 this morning. They've been here since then. And standing back there since this thing began for that one minute. I know. Hey, they're worth, it is worth giving them a hand. That's great. We've got amazing, amazing teens here at our church. I absolutely love them. Well, today what we're going to do is we're going to try to press deeper because it's, again, it's easy to just read a mission statement. It's easy to say the, the principles. What we want to do is let's try to go to a shark moment in scripture. Let's try to go to a moment when a man named Moses had a follow me opportunity with God. He's being confronted and let's see what we can learn from that moment and apply to our lives. All right. As a church, as individuals. So here's that moment. This is found in the book of Exodus chapter three, verses one through six. At least we're going to start there. If you don't have a Bible, um, we'd love for you to go home with one today. We keep a stack of them at the table in the back. We'd love for you to take one as you go as a gift to you. So let's look at this shark moment that, um, Moses experienced here in Exodus chapter three, one through six. And, and we'll go further in that in a little bit. All right, so Moses, now Moses, it says, he was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, but it was not consumed. And Moses said, I shall turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned. Then the Lord saw that Moses had turned aside to see and God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, he said, here I am, said Moses. And then God said, do not come near, take off your sandals for the place on which you're standing is what? Holy ground. Remember that phrase, holy ground. And God said, I am the God of your father, God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. All right, let's talk about this. Now, this isn't the last time we're going to study this passage. We'll come back to it sometime in the future because there is so much here, isn't there? Those of you who've studied this before, so much here. But in the time that we have today, here's what I want to highlight. And there's a place to write this in your notes. 
If God is with you, the place you are standing is what? If God is with you, the place you're standing, wherever you are, is holy ground. It's holy ground in your home. It's holy ground when you step out in the field. It's holy ground at work. It's holy ground in prison. It's holy ground in the hospital. If God is with you, wherever you are is holy ground. If you start in Genesis and you work your way to this point in, in, in the Bible, you're going to find that the word holy is not used very much up until this point. In fact, I can only find one place in all of Genesis where the word holy is used. But then, from this point on, does the word holy get used much? <laughs> yeah. More than 600 times from this point on in the Bible. More than 600 times. There's clearly a lot that God wants to reveal, because this is a turning point, about what it means to be holy and why this matters. As I was doing my research this week, one of my resources mentioned that in the ancient world, priests from all kinds of different religions, what they would do is wherever they believed the holy ground was, they often would build some sort of temple there. And then they would literally, as they got close to that temple, they would literally take off their sandals because they didn't want to track impurities onto that holy ground. So you would, you would come to the holy ground, you would take off your sandals, you would go on that holy ground, and then what would you do when you left? You would put your sandals back on and you'd go do your thing. That's how most of the world saw things. Well, back in our Genesis series, we saw that God was beginning already to stretch that kind of thinking. People once believed that gods had very specific places that they inhabited. You were a God of a region. You were a God of a location. But the God of Israel was a God who began to reveal himself by saying things like, follow me and I'll what? Be with you. God was there on the mountain with Moses. When Moses went to Egypt, was God in Egypt? Yeah. When, when Moses was instructed to build a temple, well, a tabernacle, a, a tent of meeting, was God there? Yeah. When later Solomon was instructed to build a temple, was God there? Yes. When God walked among us as Jesus, when God poured out his Holy Spirit on his church, God was there. And when the Holy Spirit was poured on his church, who became the temples of the Holy Spirit? We did. That's what the scripture says. The temples of the Holy Spirit. So wherever we are, if God is with us, it is what? It's holy ground. Boy, shark on that for a moment. Because it's a whole lot easier to not live under that paradigm. It's a whole lot easier to live on the paradigm of I'm going to church. Because what can you do? You can leave your life at the door. You can come in, engage in a worship service, and then just go back to doing things that you're doing, if that's your paradigm. <sighs> to try to have an integrated life where all of life is worship, that changes things, doesn't it? If we want to experience more of God's presence and more of his guidance in our lives, here's something we can learn from Moses. There's a place to write this in your notes. One of the mo ways we can seize moments like Moses sees them is to practice reverence for God. 
to practice reverence. And so this question that I wrote in my notes here is, is what does shoes off reverence look like in our lives? What does that look like? To go through our lives with a shoes off reverence for God. And there's so much to be said about that. But because we have so little time here today, a starting point could be this. A starting point could be, here's what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like either of these two extremes. You might want to write this somewhere in your margin. I don't have a blanks to fill in there, but you might want to, to write this down. A starting point might be this, that, that Pharisee and prodigal are both broken paradigms. Neither of those are what you're shooting for. Pharisee or prodigal. The Pharisees, they were so focused on getting all the rules right that they missed the relationship. They were about, oh, I got a piece of dust or whatever. I can't have that because that'll contaminate me instead of missing the bigger picture. And Jesus called them out for that. But what also did Jesus do? Jesus also told the story of a prodigal. And this prodigal was on the other end of the continuum. This prodigal so disregarded the rules that everything broke down. So somewhere in that messy, not either of those two places is what it looks like to have shoes off reverence for God. Neither Pharisee nor prodigal is where we want to land. Well, let's see what we can learn about from Moses about a better way. These are verses seven through eight of Exodus chapter three. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the land, hand of the Egyptians. Well, we saw in Genesis that God is a God who sees here. God reveals to Moses that he sees the affliction of his people who are enslaved. He's heard their cries. He knows their sufferings. And if we want to experience more of God's presence, you want to experience more of God's presence. Here's something we can learn from Moses. This is number two. Fix our eyes on a grander vision. Fix our eyes on a grander vision than the checkboxes most of us have about what makes for a great life. God was calling Moses to join him in restoring what was broken. And the Bible is filled from beginning to end with cautionary tales of those who claim to be God's people, but they don't engage in the hard and messy work of doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly with their God. The wordplay that came to me this week was tone deaf. As I'm sitting in this, well, as I got a chance to go get a sneak peek into this beautiful auditorium that had 7,000 seats and state of our equipment, I started thinking, how it could sound, because I'm basing this off the scriptures, how it could sound to have all these praises being lifted up from all these people, but for those people to be tone deaf because they're missing the point, because they're not seeing what God calls us to, and how that, that music could sound beautiful from tone deaf ears. You got the notes right, you got the instrumentation right, the lights are all on cue, but God's going, ah, 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 you know? Because we're singing one thing out of our mouths and we're, living something else. And that idea of not caring for the widow, the orphan, the vulnerable, the marginalized, that's one of those things, especially in the Old Testament, you see. I, I don't bring that worship before me. It's easy to insulate ourselves in the suburbs from the pain that billions of people are experiencing around the world. And as a church, we're committed to not just providing teaching about that, but opportunities to say, let, let's go. Let's unsulate. Let's unsulate ourselves from what's going on. No one can do everything, but everyone should do what? Something, right? 
Okay. Let's move on. Number three. Here we go. Another way to seize moments like Moses. I'm giving you some big ones, but they're there. They're all there in the text. Another way is this. Number three, foster humility. Foster humility. Stephen Covey calls humility the mother of all virtues. I could not agree more. Moses was raised in Pharaoh's court. And he went from ruling over people and living like a Kardashian to shepherding sheep and living in his father-in-law's basement. You know, and, and maybe you've experienced something like that before. You were a manager in charge of all these people and now you're changing diapers, right? Or, or you, you were in this place of status and prestige and then you're in a different place. Embrace it. Embrace it. You can plug your nose, but embrace it, Right? One of the reasons that God was able to work such wonders through Moses is that Moses was a humble man. Pride comes before the fall, but the word says when we humble ourselves, what does God do? He lifts us up. Numbers 12.3 says this about Moses. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. And God was able to do great things through that humble leader. Next week, I'm going to share some of the vision that's finally becoming clearer than it was when we first started. We've always known general direction, love God, love others, follow Jesus. Along the way, we start to get more specific. We understand that that means to help more people become more like Jesus in authentic community. Some of the specific things that I believe are going to be true for us, we're going to need to be humble like never before because we're going to have so much to learn to get there. So much to learn to get there. As we go from here to there. Well, here's what Moses said when God called him to be part of a grander vision. Now, remember, God's asking him, hey, go to Egypt and go help bring these people out. So God says this in verses 10 through 11. He says, come. He says, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said, I got this. I know Egypt. I was there. I'm your man. Let's go. Is that what it says? Not in my translation. My translation says, Moses says to God, um, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt? Moses didn't feel qualified, and that's because he wasn't. Just as you and I are not qualified for the grander vision that God calls us to. And if we are able to acknowledge that and embrace it, God is able to do greater things than he could have if he has to first teach us humility before we can go forward. So we don't buy into the illusion, oh, we got this, because on our own, we don't got this. But what does God promise if we follow him? This is out of Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. God said, I'll what? I'll be with you. You don't have to got this. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Well, here's something else we can learn from Moses. If we want to be more than just another suburban church, number four, how do we seize moments like Moses? Ask questions. Ask questions. Ask lots of questions. End parentheses. But what? Don't make excuses. There's a difference, isn't there? Difference. Last week, I mentioned a couple of high-profile Christians who posted that they were falling away from the faith. This is the, from the original post of a very high-profile songwriter and worship leader. He said, time for some real talk. I'm genuinely losing my faith. Not how many preachers fall? Many. No one talks about it. How many miracles happen? Not many. No one talks about it. Why is the Bible full of contradictions? No one talks about it. 
How can God be loved yet send 4 billion people to a place all because they don't believe no one talks about it? I'm a big fan of asking questions. Are these important questions? Yes. Very important questions. And as I was on my way to Chicago in a rental vehicle, I was able to have something happen that helped me anyway, put his questions in perspective. So, I get out in the car, and the first thing I want to do, I'm like, I got six hours here. I want, to, I, want to, I want to use this time to really pray and seek and listen to God. So I want to start with some good songs. So I've got my phone, which is like one generation from a flip phone. It's a hand-me-down that, that I've got, right? So, so I've got my, my little phone, and I've, I've got some songs, and, and I'm listening to them. And after 10 minutes, the battery wears out because it's a one generation away from a flip phone, right? So, so it starts to wear out, and I'm like, okay, I'll just plug it into the car charger. Oh, wait, where's the car charger? Oh, this one actually has a USB port. Are you kidding me? This is amazing. So I plug my phone into the USB port and my whole life changes because there's this dark spot on the car that turns into a screen and, and it starts playing my songs through the car stereo. I'm like, my vehicle doesn't do that. I'm, this is amazing. I wonder if anyone else knows about this, right? And, <laughs> and, and so not only that, all of a sudden my car starts ringing like a phone and I see my little phone icon, but before I, I touch it, the car asked me, do you want to return a call to Laura or something? I'm like, my car's like, it works like a phone. Are you kidding me? And then I get further down the road and it starts telling me the turns I need to make. And I'll, I'm just, I'm thinking this is the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen in my life. I wonder if anyone else knows about this, you know? Because if this had been Wednesday, I could have written a post and said, why don't people's cars talk to their phones? Why isn't anyone talking about this? I could have done that on Wednesday. On Thursday, I'm already telling you what you already know, right? May I present to you that you're never going to hear a question about God that somebody hasn't asked. People have been talking about these questions for thousands of years. The answers may not satisfy you. Some of the answers you may not like. But there are amazing tools out there. And many of the people in this room, I don't know most, but many of the people in this room, we're not here because we haven't been asking the questions yet. We're here precisely because we asked hard questions and they led us here to trusting the God of the Bible. There's some great stuff out there. From beginning to the end, we made a commitment as a church. We're not going to duck the hard stuff. We're not going to duck the hard stuff. And speaking of that, we love to hear from you. We'll start making the formal ask here in probably a couple weeks, but we would love to hear, so you guys can get advanced thinking on this. We'd love to hear in the year ahead, in the years ahead, let us know what are the scriptures that would be most helpful for you? What are the questions that are most burning? We want to do the best we can of going to those places together and not ducking the hard stuff, of asking the questions. The Bible is filled with precedents for asking questions. Moses did. He's talking to a burning bush. That's way cooler than my little car thing, right? There's a God talking out of a burning bush to him and like doing miracles and stuff. And Moses still has questions. Um, excuse me, sir. Here's, here's an example, Exodus 3, 13 to 14. And Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? What do I say? God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
And God said, say to this to the people, I am has sent me to you. Now, here's the thing, though. If you keep reading this passage, what happens? Moses asks more questions and more questions and more questions and more questions. And until the perfect patience of God, the limit is reached. How many of you know that there comes a point where questions are no longer really questions? They're excuses or they just reflect that the person isn't listening, right? There comes a point where we can cross that line. If you're not listening, your questions aren't really questions. All right, before we go on to number five, let's recap quickly. God has extended an invitation to us. The invitation is follow me and I'll be with you. We can learn a lot from a follow me moment in Moses' life. If we want our lives to track more closely with the authentic faith that Moses had, it begins by practicing reverence and then also fixing our eyes on God's grander vision and fostering humility and asking sincere questions. There's one more thing I saw in the text as I pressed into it. And that's this, embrace not just humility, but what? Dependency. Embrace the fact out of our humility that we need help and that God will help. In fact, we're dependent upon it. Why did Moses end up as a shepherd in the first place? Because he took matters into his own hands. It is so easy to do that as individuals, as churches. When we follow Jesus, we see that God can do things that we could never do on our own. We see that in the account we've been looking at. This is from Exodus chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. But know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with the wonders I will do in it. And after that, Pharaoh will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And you shall put on your sons and your daughters these things so that you shall plunder the Egyptians. Well, in our Explore membership class, we share a number of stories that many of you have heard of how when we stepped out in faith, humility, dependency, we watched God do things we never could have done on our own. But rather than share some of those stories, I want to tell you about what's been happening right this week. I have to give you a little bit of backstory, then I want to share some things that are happening right now. So here's the quick backstory. About a year ago, as many of you know, we took a number of our leaders to what's called the Global Leadership Summit. Powerful event. I don't know anything like it. 400,000 leaders all over the country are hearing this amazing teaching in satellite locations all around the United States and all around the world. Well, we found out that they were looking for another host site in this area. So we said, we'll look into that. And so we came here to the Shoreview Community Center. We said, hey, could we host one of those events? They said, sounds like a great event, but we're all booked up in August. So we went back to the GLS people. We said, they're all booked up. They said, okay, thanks. Well, this spring, we ended up getting contacted by the GLS and they said, hey, we want to do something that we're not doing anywhere else, this unique partnership where you, Emmanuel, you would be the host church. North Heights, right down the road, has a huge auditorium. They would be the site, the host site. And then Willow Creek Church, community church in Chicago would pick up the tab for renting that site. And then a team from the GLS would provide the overall leadership. They didn't do this like exactly like this in anywhere else. And so we said, yes, we just kept following these open doors. And now this last summer, instead of us being able to host an event here, which 
we could only fit 300 in this room. We were a part of something bigger that God was doing that we couldn't have set up where more than 600 people were able to attend. It was the largest venue in the state for the Global Leadership Summit. Okay, so that's what's already happened. Let me talk what's happening, what happened this week. So it could have been done right there. We could have said, wow, God, let's see if he opens that door again. But they invited me to go um, to Chicago for a debrief and to, to talk about how it went. And at first I said, no, I'm like, I, I can't, I, I got no time for that, you know? And, but then I, I stopped and I said, you know what? Before I say no, for sure, let me pray through. And as I listened as best I could, I felt like, okay, I'm supposed to go. So I'm having, going, and I have my epiphany about what cars can do. And then, and then I get there and listen to what happened within 24 hours. And those of you who know how hard it is to get on the calendar of influencers, Hopefully this registers with you. I'm going to start by saying, can you see this card? Ask me the backstory of this card. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to tell you the backstory of this card. So I'm not a person who goes around. I don't even have cards. I probably should because I'm just not that, you know, that's just not me, right? So here's a story in this card because you asked. <laughs> so... <laughs> um, we brought two people up from Emmanuel Children's Home so they could experience this leadership summit here in Minnesota, you know? And so we brought two, Patel and Nada. And I was here, and I'm, I'm thinking about this, this summit, and I'm here with these, these people, and I'm like, man, I wonder how we could, what we need to do, who do we need to talk to to get information about getting the summit down to Juarez, Mexico? Million and a half people in a really tough city. The precise moment, not five minutes before, not one minute before, not one minute after. The precise moment that I turned to someone and said, do you know how I could find somebody to talk about how we would get the Global Leadership Summit to Juarez? He said, yes, talk to this guy. Hey, come here, Scott, whatever his name was. And the guy who's in charge of that region who has 40 host sites in Mexico. That's the only time I saw him in that whole conference for that precise moment, right? Of course, I didn't know what he looked like before there, in all fairness, you know, but... So that's one story. That's just one story. See this card? Ask me how I got this card. Glad you asked. So, day two, I'm sitting at this table and the guy who sits right to my right, we start talking and he introduces himself and he starts telling me who he is. And I recognize the name because the book on church finances was written by this guy. And not only that, he is a pastor of a 12,000 person church who has multiple locations. And some of the key questions that we have to ask as a church about finances, about facilities. Here's this guy that probably has six layers that it would take to be able to set up a meeting with him. He's handing me his card and saying, hey, give me a call. I'll carve out an hour anytime you want. (laughs) Okay. And if that's not enough, in that same 24 hours, before the debrief was over, I had an opportunity to have one-on-one conversation with a pastor named Craig Grishel. Who's, who reaches 100,000 people a week and is one of the most innovative thinkers 
on the planet. And that same day, I was able to receive coaching from a guy who gave me insight that I needed personally to make some changes that I need to help get where I need to go. Could I have set up that itinerary if I would have wanted to? There's no, no way, no way. What I did was I tried to, before saying no, I tried to say, God, should I say yes? Incredible. This is the kind of thing that we've experienced time and time again. As a church, many of you, if you had an opportunity right now, you could share of those things. This is not coincidence. There's no way I could have lined this up on my own. Follow me, God says, and I will be with you. So before we seal our time together with the song, I want to extend this invitation to you. We invite you to experience God with us. And in a shark way, right? Not in a check the box. I showed up, left my sandals at the door, and I popped them back on when I left. There's a temptation in the suburbs to check the box of offering programming for kids and teens that draws big crowds. We invite you to help us take our teens deeper and our kids deeper. Let's make this a place where every kid is known and welcomed for who they are. And their individual questions are the ones that we're able to help them answer. In the suburbs, it's tempting to check the box, offering program for adults that inspires people to keep coming back and inviting their friends. We've got to go deeper than that. We invite you to help us to be part of this hard and messy work of truly becoming a family, the kind of family that Jesus cast a vision for. In the suburbs, it is tempting to check the box of raising awareness. You know, did we talk about some good cause this year? We want to invite you to the hard and messy work of saying you can't do everything, but what's your something? In the suburbs, it's tempting to stick to topics and scriptures that help people feel better about the life they've chosen rather than exploring sections of the Bible that challenge our paradigms. We invite you to join us as we press deeper. You know, as a church, if I were to look back and said, big picture, what are the things that we've learned over the last um, 12 years? There's not a lot on that list that I could say we learned for the first time. What I can say, though, is everything we've been learning at a deeper level, at more of a shark level. Those things about the church isn't the building. Those things about the importance of really being in partnership, the importance of really being a family. Rethinking, we would have, of course we would have said, yeah, you don't have to own property. Now it's like, why, why would we do that? You know, being able to think differently. That's what we're inviting you to, to join us as we do. Well, as the worship band comes and seals this time with a song, let me leave you with this quote. Everyone, you want to see this quote. Take a look at this. I know this is a really good-looking band here, but everyone on the screens, right? We must not cease from exploration. And at the end of all of our exploring, we'll be to arrive where we began and to know that place for what? First time. Let's do that. Does that sound good? All right, let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you from the beginning, from the beginning, you have revealed to us as a God who is with us. Help us to experience that more and more and more as a church, as individuals. Help us to truly follow you. Teach us what that even means. 
at least at this next level, and then take us deeper and deeper still. Help us to have an encounter with you right now as we lift you up in this song. In Jesus' name, amen.